Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This week, we are offering four conversations from episode 61, in which Dr. Ali Aminian, lead author of the Splendor Study, discusses the effects of bariatric surgery on major cardiovascular events and liver outcomes. This conversation starts with an audience member, Shardul Jain of Altrix Bio, asking whether we can envision a point in time where surgery jumps in front of medication to become first-line therapy. The group thinks, for the most part, not, although maybe in some specialized cases, yes. From there, the group goes on to answer my closing questions question. Which one or two insights from Splendor will have the greatest effect on treatment and on what we know? This paper is important in many ways and provides powerful, dramatic data about the effect of weight loss on cardiovascular and liver outcomes. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn. And when you're done, join the conversation in our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. We have a question out of the audience, and I think that's not a bad junk. So I want to bring on Shardul Jain, who actually was the first guy ever to ask us a question back in Easel. And Shardul, you should be up. How are you today? Hey, Roger, Dr. Harrison. How are you guys doing? We're, we're doing fine. So go ahead. What's your question? Thanks a lot again for this great discussion. I was wondering, could we ever envision a path where surgical intervention, such as bariatric surgery, can be placed on top of the treatment armatarium? Maybe we ought to look at this disease and the trifecta of this disease, MASH, diabetes, obesity, through one lens where the broader effect of bariatric surgery is on all these, these three different you know diseases. So why not flip this and have surgery as a first option? Because like you guys just alluded, we do not have therapy approved right now for NASH. GLP-1s, patients tend to lose a little bit of weight and it also comes with its own side effects. Why not turn this paradigm upside down and start surgery as a first option? And we already know that in the field of cancer, surgery is an option that's on the table always. So why in the case of diabetes or NASH, we have this as a last resort? Why don't one of you folks talk about that question in the context of metabolic disease and then should well, I don't think cancer is necessarily the right analogy. And if, if we can, I'll come back to that in a couple of minutes. Who would like to answer that question first? I can take one. So if the patient has severe obesity, patient has metabolic disease, type 2 diabetes, NASH, cardiovascular disease related to obesity, sleep apnea, degenerative joint disease, all these complications of being overweight and being obese. So it does make sense to treat obesity aggressively instead of of just giving the patient different type of medications to treat cardiovascular disease, to treat the joint pain, to prevent kidney dysfunction, to take care of NASH, use the CPAP to take care of the sleep apnea because the underlying disease is the obesity. So that's a good example that if you can help patient to lose weight by any means, including bariatric surgery, it makes a lot of sense to do that. Currently, the most effective treatment that we have is bariatric surgery, but I hope in future, we're going to have more medication that can be available to a large number of patients and many patients won't need the surgery. But now we're talking about patients not having severe obesity, milder form of obesity and isolated problem, like milder form of a patient with BMI of 32 with 
only Nash or patient with BMI of 33 and some joint pain. So if we have a milder form of obesity, maybe just one or two organ dysfunction or two organs at risk, for those patients, in addition to lifestyle modification, targeting those organs uh, to prevent further damage or treat the damage that's already happened to those organs makes a lot more sense to do the surgery. So it, it depends on the patient situation. So as you mentioned, patient with severe obesity, multiple comorbid conditions, since obesity is the driver, it makes sense to try to eliminate that driver and that's going to improve all the organs, but the organ damages and preserve the organ functions. But in patients with milder form of obesity, maybe with limited comorbid condition, it would make more sense to target those organs. Because I'm a surgeon, I know that these are safe procedures, but still there is risk. So the risk of having major complications between 3 to 5%, that means out of 100 patients that we operate, although 95 of them won't have any problem, but 3 to 5 patients may develop complications. The risk of dying from surgery in current practice is between 1 to 2 in 1,000 patients. So still there is morbidity and mortality. So that's why it makes more sense to have surgery for patients with more severe form of obesity and have medical management for patients with milder form of obesity if they have only one or two or limited number of organ damages. That's my thought about it. Stephen, what do you think? I think you're right, right on. I mean, the problem is there there is 20 million people in this country that that have at-risk NASH with risk for disease progression. And many of those six to 8 million that are probably F3 or F4, there's not enough surgeons in this country to manage all of those patients. And and when you start adding up, you know, I as a gastroenterologist, I see the complications from bariatric surgery. Not everybody goes to the Cleveland Clinic to get their surgery. It's like MRIs. They're not all created equal. You know, some can do your scan, some can't do your scan. Some do it well and some not so well. It's like anything else. I don't think that bariatric surgery is a cure for obesity in our country. I think that there are certain patients that would benefit from that. And I think Ali has outlined those very specifically. I think the holy grail for this thing where we're able to apply it on a much broader scale is going to be the weight loss medication that's currently being studied and some of it, which currently is approved already. The issues with that are GI side effect profiles and can, and the route of administration. Could we get that to an oral? Could we get rid of some of the GI tolerability issues that we're seeing. And the more we're able to refine that medication, I think the better it will be. Thanks, Stephen. Wayne, go ahead. Well, I can't really comment authoritatively on the surgery question, but there's a huge placebo issue in all of these things. And that's really just evidence that lifestyle is a therapy. We don't spend nearly enough on fundamental prevention of this obesity epidemic, which is really non-medical. That's speaking from my, uh, <laughs> the rest of my life perspective. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. So I'll speak from my life perspective, which is a, which is a one-time cancer patient who actually had surgery. Shardwell, I, I think the role of surgery in cancer is what you do if the tumor you're looking at is limited in location. Once the tumor advances to a place where you can't chase the microcells around the body, operating makes little or no sense. Here, the example Ali gave where somebody has a, such a grievous set of issues specifically around obesity, that that becomes a one thing you can target on there surgery makes sense, and that's where it's being used. I think for broader metabolic disease, it feels a 
little bit in some ways like trying to shoot a fly with an elephant gun. And you get the added challenge that Stephen mentioned before you asked your question, I think, which is that you can only do it once. So if you do it with somebody and it doesn't take, you're done. Whereas medication, you can go back at over and over again. I'm skeptical that we'll see that. I'm, I'm having a hard time figuring out where the regulatory or advocate pressure or physician pressure or surgeon pressure is going to come from to do it. But it's an interesting question to think about where exactly it does fit into the armamentarium, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, considering that 70% of the diabetics will, will get NASH. So if I get diagnosed with diabetes and being a young guy, I would rather take my chance with surgery because I can probably handle or recover from the surgery and be on a path where there could be possible remission, could be you know, slow down the progression of NASH. Why not to you know engage in that option versus taking these medications where maybe they slow down the disease, but they never put disease into remission or, you know, if it's uncontrolled diabetes, none of these medications are going to work. Yeah, so now I'll run around on my friend Wayne's side of the table and I'll say everything starts with diet and exercise, right? Yeah, it absolutely does because the first question is, okay, <laughs> what did you do in lifestyle to try first before you even try to think of medication. Yeah, but the point is, is that most of the time for majority of patient lifestyle doesn't work exactly. in the long run. And that's why all this data consistently show if we do the surgery, surgery can be life-saving. So surgery, if we, if we, if patient can lose large amount of weight with the surgery and keep the weight up, that can decrease the mortality in long term by 50%. I think there is no other medical or surgical intervention currently available that can provide 50% reduction in mortality, but bariatric surgery can do that in, in selected patients, obviously, in patients yeah. who have severe obesity. Yeah. We cannot have one size fit for all. So for selected patients with severe obesity who are a good candidate for surgery after assessment of risk and benefit of surgery in an individualized basis and in approach, then yeah, in selected group of patients, surgery can be a very good choice. It certainly fits for a portion of people, but I would disagree that lifestyle can't work. There's some very excellent programs that are going on that are demonstrating that intensive support for a period of time works for a significant portion of people. You know, people are confounding because they really defeat all of our efforts, but to say that it does not work for a significant number of people is, is I think, being demonstrated to be managed if we put the right effort into it. And I think we see some programs out there that are showing that very nice. Yeah, and people have to put their own effort in. I think that's right. And, and to me, what goes along with that is the idea that if you don't put the effort in, there isn't a surgery in the world that's going to fix any of these issues. So Shardun, a small personal story in more detail than I usually give. I had a melanoma of unknown primer, which means they first found it in a lymph node. If, if they take it out and it never comes comes back and it's only that one lymph node, your chances of survival are really great. If there's a recurrence, your chances of survival really stink. The five-year numbers are like 15% if it comes back early enough. And I had a recurrence in five months. It turned out that my diet and exercise regimen had been so aggressive that my white cells took the recurrence out. And that by the time they got to it, to, to, to biopsy it, yeah, dead cancer tissue and a lot of white cells. So I'd be a really tough sell on the idea that diet and exercise can't work personally, just based on experience that's tougher than what we're dealing with here. I think the issue is what does it take to get people 
people to stay with it. And and to some degree, that's about the individual. And as Wayne points out, we're developing better programs all the time. I want to thank you for your question. We're kind of at the bottom of the hour. So let me uh, say farewell to you for now and look forward to having you back at some point next time you're listening and it's appropriate to do so. Okay. Uh, pleasure was ours. Thank you. Bye-bye now. And and with that, we've lost Stephen, but we have the three of us. So it's just final question. Okay. So before Roger going to the final question, I didn't answer Stephen's question about the non-invasive test. We did not have those data uh, because many of these patients enrolled into the study in 2006, 2007, 2008. At that time, no MRE or I guess no fibroscan, those fancy uh, tests. So that's why we didn't have those data to, to be presented at the paper. I think he alluded to that, Ali. He was also asking if he had even just ALT levels, but um, which, which admittedly aren't necessarily a lot in the scheme of things. So as I tried to explain, the, the goal here was to present the effect of the intervention on the heart clinical endpoints. So with that, then let's go to the last question. Actually, last question for the year on this podcast, so no pressure on you guys. Ali, what do you think the one greatest long-lasting effect of this study is going to be? It's, it's a great study. It's a fantastic piece of work, and people have described it to me as jaw-dropping, which is a word I use but rarely hear. So what do you think the most important long-term impact of it will be? Go. I can give you two. Go. So one is that the study clearly shows that obesity is the main driver in fatty liver disease. And if we can help patients to lose weight, doesn't matter by bariatric surgery or medication or lifestyle uh, modification, by any means, if we can find a way and help patients to lose large amount of weight and keep the weight up, we can protect their liver and the heart. That's the main message of this study. In terms of the effect of the study or impact of the study in the hepatology community, the study clearly shows that it's very doable to do clinical trials based on the heart clinical endpoints like mellow, mace, probably nephropathy, instead of just focusing on repeat liver biopsy data. With a reasonable number of patients, if we have an effective medication or intervention with a good follow-up time, so this study showed that if we have 500 patients in each arm and follow them a reasonable amount of time, we can see reduction in major clinical endpoints, which are more meaningful for patient life than repeat liver biopsy data. And Ollie, thanks. Uh, Wayne? I think that's right. From a patient perspective, I think the the guidance that the heart-liver axis can be affected so dramatically is something that we can use because we tend to talk about these diseases in silos, but as patients, we experience them <laughs> as a unit. And I think that the, the more we can bring people's minds to the whole body concept, the great value to their mortality, which is demonstrated, I think, clearly by the liver-heart relationships that are highlighted here, I think is something that we can definitely use to communicate with patients. So I'm, I'm, I really appreciate that. Very good. Very good. So yeah, I, I have two also in tradition of both of you guys. Number one is my forecaster answer, which is this 
this study to me makes investment in the double agonists and triple agonists a lot more attractive because what it says is if you can achieve 20% weight loss, the downstream effects will be considerable. And Ali, I know you haven't done, you've now got funded, haven't done your cost effectiveness analysis yet, but I'll, I'll bet the dollars to donors is going to wind up showing the medication is a highly efficient thing to do if it can get and maintain that kind of loss. So that's my number one. My number two is we talked about this last week and neither of you guys were here. The idea that if you think about it, NASH is really two different diseases. There's F1, F2 NASH, which is fundamentally part of the metabolic syndrome. And there's F4 NASH, which is about a precursor to fairly rapid liver decompensation and decline. You don't have a ton of patients in F4, Ollie, but your data speaks to all that. It speaks to the idea that weight loss can help in both places, even though the real risk of the disease is different in both places. To me, that makes weight loss an incredibly compelling therapy, however you get there. Because wherever you are on the liver cascade, it's going to help you today and it's going to prevent what you're scared of tomorrow. And I, I just think that's an easy selling proposition. They, they taught me in marketing a long time ago that the most effective marketing proposition was up until now you had to choose and now you can have it all at once. Or who said you can't have it all or taste great lace filling or a whole bunch of implementations of that. This study makes weight loss feel like who said you had to choose. Now, as Wayne points out, you got to do the work. The patient has to do the work. We all have to support the work and it's not easy work, but pretty edifying results. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. Starting next Wednesday, December 22nd, we will kick off our year-end series, which will include three full episodes and nine or ten longer-form conversations with some of the leaders who've joined our episodes throughout the year. We've recorded three of these conversations as of today, December 16th, and all are fascinating and insightful. If you have downtime during the holiday, make sure to check it out. And if we don't see you later in the year, and this is the last you hear from me in 2021, have a wonderful holiday season, stay safe, surf on, and we'll see you on the podcast in January. Bye-bye now.